Well, hello there. I'm Karen Sander. You are listening to Aging Fearlessly, a program for the over 50s, those uniquely wonderful baby boomers. My aim is to educate, motivate and inspire you to embrace the exciting journey of life for decades to come. So stay tuned to meet a variety of guests who will share their stories and passions to help us gain insight into the ways to live a happier, healthier life. Welcome to today's Hour of Aging Fearlessly. My guests are always really impressive and they're experts in their fields, but today my guest is more than impressive. He is an award-winning Australian author who's known not only in Australia but around the globe for his brilliance and he just keeps on giving. And I'm not going to say too much more about him other than to welcome Tom Keneally. Hello. (laughs) It's so good, you know, um, to have you here today, Tom, because... My listeners are over 50s and you're an octogenarian, right? Yeah, I'm afraid so, 82. It's getting ridiculous. Oh, I don't think it's too ridiculous, but you you are amazing. And the reason I say that is because you're still so active and you're still so involved in the world. Yes, I'm lucky that I don't have, didn't have to retire. I think retirement is a, well, it's a truism that it's, it's a test, mm. particularly for men. Women tend often to know who they are better than blokes do. Blokes are their job. And um, I, I, it's my belief that professions are taken away too quickly from uh, males. Um, and... Uh, uh, you find um, a lot of international corporations sacking people, retrenching people in their 50s and they've got another maybe 30 years to live. Yeah, and it's all that experience that they have that they've built up that they could mentor the younger generation coming through. And they'll never get a chance to deploy it unless, they're, unless they, fi- you know, it, it's quite a test to find an arena in which they can deploy their skills. And it, yeah, I have so many friends, Tom, that are retraining to do different things because the careers they've always had, they've been made redundant and no one wants to employ them to do those anymore mm-hmm. things. Yeah, yes. it's a scary it's a scary thing. Um and I think something that for me, you always have to be looking for at, for to the future. I'm stumbling on words to actually look at how can I retrain and how can I use what, I'm, what I've got mm-hmm. for my future. Yes, indeed. And if you're um, fortunate enough to have a good pension, a good superannuation, uh, of course, there's always the path of volunteerism. Which is uh, wonderful. Uh, which, uh, well, we volunteer organisations would be... Uh, helpless without people over 55. You know? Oh, yeah, they just give, you know, it, and it's a great sense of achievement when you you just don't have that thing that you get up to do every day. It's that yeah. why, isn't it? Why do I get up? Yes, yes. Well, you obviously have a big why as to why you get up every day. I've got a question as to what you are most looking forward to in the next two years. Uh, well, the next two years... Uh, some travel, certainly. I'm looking forward to 
a book coming out in October, November. Mm. And my daughter's book, a book she wrote on her own, coming out next year. This is Margaret. Margaret. Yes. And uh, she's written four books now with me, three of which have been published. Yeah. Uh, and with any luck, the fourth will be out next year. And she's a girl as young as uh, she's in her early 50s, heedless young thing oh. that she is. And um, uh, I'm also looking forward, I've got an operation coming up this year. Yeah. I'm looking forward to recovering from that. When you turn 80, you're always uh, waiting, f- and you're in good health, you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. <laughs> And the other shoe dropped a few months ago when it became apparent that I'd be well advised to have an operation to have my esophagus and lymph nodes removed. It's quite a big operation. So that is on August the 13th. So I'm looking forward to finishing a new book before then and, above all, to returning to my wayward uh, behaviour post-operatively, perhaps four months post-operatively. What's your wayward behaviour? My uh, wayward behaviour is forgetting my age. Um, (laughs) I love it. So you're definitely not defined by it because you don't remember it. uh, Well, look, I'm fortunate to be working at the same pace as I did in my 30s. And, you know, this is pure good luck. They reckon three groups of people uh, never have to retire. Scientists, uh, artists, because they never Mm -hmm. had, and writers, because we never had a respectable job to begin with. (laughs) I love that, a respectable job. (laughs) And and courtesans. Courtesans don't have to retire. (laughs) Mind you, maybe the volume of business drops (laughs) off. Uh, But uh, in any case... uh, I realise that I'm in that fortunate situation. That and when you write a book, you're aged around you. Your soul feels pretty ageless. It's the same process you went through in your twenties and thirties. Mm, yes, and you can make all your characters any age you like. You don't have to make them old guys. Uh, and uh, so it's an exercise in. Not so much in youth, but in agelessness. And uh, that is a beneficial aspect. You know, you see me writing the whole time you're talking because I like to capture things that I can come back and ask you about. And I love the thing, I love the word agelessness and I love wayward behaviour. Oh, my God, I'm going to write a blog about wayward behaviour. I I think it's brilliant. I just really love it. Um, You've got a few other things. Once I met you down at Manly and you said something, and we're going to talk about that later. Tenterfield Sadler. Mmm. Mmm, tell me more. Well, listen, this is the only duo I've ever sung with Hugh Jackman. Oh, you sung it with Hugh Jackman? In... It sounds better than the reality was. Peter Carey and I met the writer met one night yeah. in New York, and Judy and I spent some years in New York. I used to teach at NYU, in inverted commas. Yeah. Uh, I, I actually used to rabbit on and serve cheap Australian Chardonnay to graduate students. <laughs> but, Sorry. <laughs> in, oh, 
you're going to laugh all day. Yeah. So one, one night, uh, Peter and I were out and we'd been invited uptown by Fred Skepsy, the great Larrikin film director from Melbourne. You know them all, yep. And who made the chant of Jimmy Blacksmith yep. years ago. Which was a high school study novel, wasn't it? it was yes, strange. indeed, yeah, for a yeah, lot of kids. It and, was. Uh, even some of the baby boomers. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, uh, Peter and I, I have to confess, I'm not like this now, but in those days, wine was taken during the evening. Only, only a sip. Yeah, but Peter and I had had a sip. Um. And we went up to Fred's place and there was a group round the table, but Peter and I were for some reason sitting on the floor and this handsome young kid began to sing Tanterfield Sadler. And it is a fine song by uh, Peter Allen and, and very Australian, but Peter and I began to join in. After two or three lines, we realised that the kid at the table was, was really good. And his name was Hugh, Hugh Jackman. Jackman. Oh, my God. That is just hysterical. How old was Hugh Jackman then? Not he, very old. He was in his 20s, yes. He was rehearsing for the for role the ro- of Peter, Peter Allen, Allen. In, um, in the musical. I think... I think and, and you'd only had a sip of wine. Amazing how... Just imagine what I could have done. If you'd we had a bucket. We could have made a recording oh. if I... <laughs> But my abstemiousness often has penalised me in life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh, I love it. We're going to listen to, to Tenerfield Sadler by Peter Allen himself. I did see when I was downloading these from iTunes, the one from Hugh, Hugh Jackman saying, and I thought, no, we'll just have Peter Allen. I love it. It's about his uncle, I think. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. And he, in this version, he tells a little bit about oh, where yes. the story came Good. from. So. Here we go. You are listening to Radio Northern Beaches 88.7 and 90.3, your community radio station. The lyrics. Yes, it's a great, it's a very folk songy. And I'm a, a my... Um, Preference for the shower is folk songs. Uh, do you? Do, is that where you learnt to sing so well in the shower? <laughs> yes, indeed, I went to the uh, <laughs> the, the shower conservatorium, and that's <laughs> what equipped me to sing with. <laughs> oh, the shower conservatorium! <laughs> so that just brings me to the Isles of Romance. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, I've heard about the Isles of Romance. Can you explain to me the Isles of Romance? Oh, uh, my my wife and I uh, uh, describe the big um, shopping centres and, and particularly Coles and Woolworths yes. shopping for groceries as uh, shopping in the Isles of Romance because they're just so erotic, you know. A joint shopping centre will, uh, expedition rather, will uh, revive a marriage in no time because of the <laughs> the, the glamorous ambience. Well, you, yeah, you did mention to me that, that the washing deter- detergents and the pet food were really 
a big part in the Isles of Romance. Yes, indeed. Uh, and uh, you must have met me in there one day, did you? Well, or... no, I didn't, Tom. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> but you did mention... Not by the pet food, no. No, no it wasn't no. by the pet yeah. food. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Actually, you were on your way to meet Judy at the Isles, the of, Isles Romance, of Romance. And you yes. just mentioned, I've got to go and meet Judy in the Isles of Romance. And I said, Sorry? And you explained the Isles of Romance. So, no, I didn't meet you in the Isles of Romance. But there was a thing about shopping centres many years ago, and I think it was Neutral Bay, Woolworths, that if you were single and you had a hand of bananas in your trolley, meant you were available to be picked up. Is that so? Well, it was a myth. Sometimes a banana is just a banana. Oh, look, I'm just... You tell- see what I mean about wayward? Oh, God, I love it. And and what a way to live your life, being wayward. You've had... Um, oh, I'm, I'm going to have to put my glasses on in a minute, I think. Um, so you've had an amazing life and you've, you're active and your life as an octogenarian... Um, what advice do you give to listeners? Like, you started to talk oh. about a few things. What about fulfilling your life in your 80s? Well, uh, I think, first of all, you've got to be lucky. My wife and I are lucky in that we're both pretty mobile. Yes. Uh, And indeed, this operation I'm having is posited upon my being relatively fit. Yes. Uh, And this is sometimes unmerited. unmerited. You're much better choosing good parents parents, the long-living parents than going to the gym, I think. Oh, yeah, and so do you really get to choose a mm, question? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but yeah. Yes, and uh, I, I was fortunate to have that. And so, you know, it's, not, it, it's a sunny time which isn't going to last forever, uh, but we've certainly... Without any self-consciousness, I think, uh, uh, pursued youth. Now, last year, my wife, Judy, who's older than me, she's 83 now, but she's only 82 last year, Mm. and she went cross-country skiing with me at Perisher, Mm. and the ice, with a lot of ice on the track at Perisher, and she said, I hate falling now at my age. I'm going to have to go on snowshoes with you. So... I skied and she used snowshoes and we met up with another amiable skier and we had a perfectly wonderful time. But Judy was complaining about being ending up on, on snow, snowshoes and a friend of hers said, when you're your age, a crisis isn't having to go from skis to snowshoes, it's no. having to go from a walking stick to, to a, a walking wheel- frame or, or a to wheelchair. A wheelchair. Yeah. Oh, my God, I know. It's like one of those first world problems, Judy. Yeah. <laughs> like- and so, and so uh, we're fortunate, but it, naturally it won't last forever. And the luckier we are, the more frail we will grow to be. I know all those... Um, uh, I, I know all those uh, ironies um, that operate in the case of the aged, uh, and uh, because I saw them in my parents. Interesting thing about it's often the very independence 
of the ages, often what got people to 90, yep. say, that ends up killing them. Mm. The, the independence, you, no, I'm not going to stay at your place tonight. Yeah. My mother's version. I'm not going to stay at your place tonight. Even though I've signed myself out of hospital early. Yes. I'm going to, I've got my alarm if anything yeah. happens. So before I go to bed, I take my alarm off. And then in the middle of the night, I have a fall and there's no one there. That independence of spirit, which uh, she fell foul of at the age of 94, uh, that is her greatest virtue and her greatest vulnerability. Mm. And um, it's interesting to think that our my father was a rugby league halfback. And he used to rush everywhere. Oh, I've got it. So we're going to come to something else. You used to rush everywhere. Yes. And, uh, of course, you can't rush everywhere when you're 90s. And he was a stroppy. He told me when I used to fight, uh, boys used to box each other when I was a kid. and when They were allowed to. Yeah, and it was encouraged. And we, um, when he came back from the war, he thought my mother had been rather soft on me. So he wouldn't let me back out of a fight when our block of kids would have to fight the champion of the other block. Oh, my goodness. Isn't it a funny... Yeah. And this is in the 40s, you know. Yep. I'm doing this. And he, right after World War II, he said to me, and this was his philosophy, I think, and it's a philosophy that will take you a long way until it doesn't, until mm. it fails. It was... Don't worry, son, you just face up to them and you get in one punch and they'll remember them for the rest. The, oh, my God. They'll remember for the, you for the rest of their lives. I decided on reflection that that wasn't a good enough reward for getting the <laughs> hell beaten out of you. Yeah. And so, uh, but he was, uh, you know, his he's courage and his speed and all the rest of it were what brought him down in the end. Mm. And his toughness. He broke his hip and decided he'd come round to our place, sit on a chair and let it knit. Oh, that's really... I don't know what he was going to do to go to the loo. And then he he passed out on the way to our place. <laughs> oh, my God, that is tough. But so you mentioned your dad and football. So so sport's an important um, – it's so important to you. Um, so tell us about your greatest sporting passion. Uh, well, I uh, uh, was raised uh, playing rugby league and – during the war, actually, when my father was in the Middle East for about a part of three years, he um, he was away about three years all up by the time he, if he included the voyage at both ends. He sent me uh, rugby league balls, and he was a famous rugby league player oh, yeah. in the bush. Mm-hmm. And old Bleach used to say to me, you know, your old man was a great 5'8", but he used to come the knuckle. <laughs> ah, what would happen today if you come the knuckle? <laughs> you, you get sent off. <laughs> they played the tape back and you get sent off. But in any case, he, um, um, our family thought rugby league was pretty much the, and cricket were pretty much the measure of the world. Mm. Uh, and I remember... 
post-World War II, the first British Lions tour, the British um, Rugby League yeah. team, um, a put-together team that arrived on an aircraft carrier and defeated us, um, defeated Australia. And, uh, yes, I'd been... You know, at the school I went to, I bet a lot of contemporaries and even men in their 70s remember this. Rugby league was compulsory. If you had tuberculosis, you might only be made to play a half. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I went to one of the big um, rugby schools, Matraville High, where the Union, the Yellow Boys, etc., and Russell Fairfax, I went through school over there and they were in the years above what and below me. What an interesting me. family those Ellers were, eh? Well, they lived at the end of our street. Oh, gee. And there's the 150th um, reunion, uh, sorry, 150th anniversary of La Perouse Public School where I went coming up in November. So I'm sure they'll all be there. You weren't in the founding class, I think. <laughs> Hang on, 150, no. I was never good at maths, but no, definitely not. I think I can... Ellers, uh, there's a new book out called Black Pearls, oh. which is about great sporting Aboriginals. And them. And there are three of the Ellers in there, the two rugby players and the great netballer. Ah. So the daughter. Ah, uh, yes. Um, I don't... Oh, and another one. There, there are four Ellers so, the two, the twins, were basically coached and learnt through one of our teachers in my third grade teacher, Ian Ed, and there mm-hmm. is a book about them, and it mentions him sort of yes, leading them into the the rugby world. It's a great story, yeah, and they're and, such gentlemen those days. And also, Eddie Jones was another one from our school, so oh, you know, like it was yeah. a big. I went to school with his sister, one of his sisters. Is it, he part Aboriginal too? No, he's half Japanese. Uh-huh. His father was a soldier, and his mother was Japanese. Oh boy, that's and they lived out at Cape Banks, um, out beyond um, Prince Henry Hospital in a in a soldier sort of. Yeah. Army zone, yeah. Oh, listen, I, I grew up in the other side of the world. It was nothing down there. It was just... You know, if li- I were a film director and had limitless access to funds, like Spielberg, for example, I would make a movie about those Japanese brides. Can you imagine what it was like to come from Japan to Australia in the 1950s? Oh, but what? before that, they tried everything on you. First, the... The Australian Army arrested your Australian soldier boyfriend for fraternisation. Oh, yeah. Then they tried to arrest you. <laughs> and then they said, you know, you'll never be admitted to Australia, white Australia policy. Oh, yeah. And well, then they stopped uh, uh, imprisoning the girls and the boys and let nature take its course. And these first... Um, uh, Japanese war brides uh, began to arrive in the 50s and one of them lived, for example, in St Helens in um, uh, in Tasmania and another lived in WA. They've left their memoirs. Uh, a great story it is. Well, you better, be, you better put it together. Well, uh, yeah, there's a bit of time left. <laughs> so um, I wanted to talk about the Lachlan Tigers. Ah, now, shearing. Yeah. When uh, 
Shearers are amongst the toughest blokes in the world. They are, aren't they? And uh, I uh, went out and worked with some of them when I left Manly Seminary. Yes, See, I, I yes, I, the seminary I did earlier, read that. I've... And I left the seminary and I had an uncle in Hay and I went out and worked with him as a labourer, not as a person of any skill. And uh, it is the toughest of jobs, but it's also... It was highly rewarding in those days in the 50s when the sheep's back was still there. But I'm writing a book now. The book I'm trying to finish before the operation is about the Dickens boys. Yes. Charles Dickens sent two sons to Australia. Yes. And they worked in the sheep industry. Ah. And they were introduced to shearing. And the Shearers' Union destroyed the political career of one of them. So I've just got really re-engrossed with shearing and wool class. I mean, wool classing is another story. sophisticated process. And, and uh, out at Hay, they have the Shearers Hall of Fame. Absolutely. Because I go out there occasionally for work myself and I've been to the Shearers Hall of Fame. Yes, yeah, indeed. Very and good. my, my uncle's um, daughter, my cousin, used to be the... Uh, publicity officer for the Shearer's Hall of Fame. She's now moved to the big smoke of Wagga. So I'm not as far away from shearing as you think, but I love folk songs, and I think this folk song, Australian folk song, is the amongst the best. You know, there are no love songs. Have you noticed that? I haven't, but I will now. The Australian, the only Australian love song is typically Australian, it goes... Come, pack up your swag and let's make a push. I'll take you out the country and show you the bush. I'll be sure you'll not get such an offer any day, so come and take possession of the old bullet dray. <laughs> well, <laughs> but this is, in any case, not a love song, but it's a great folk well, song. let's listen to the Lachlan Tigers. Welcome back to 88.7 and 90.3, your community radio station. You are listening to Aging Fearlessly with Karen. Please go to Facebook and like the page Aging Fearlessly. That's a very lively song. Yes. <laughs> you can see those you can see them all out Full dancing and all that. Oh, yes. That would be exhausting playing those instruments, don't you think? <laughs> Ah, yes. I, I, for some reason, I think a song like, I like a song like that much better than We Come From a down, Land Down Under, mm. where women cry and men chunder. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a great song, isn't it? <laughs> they were in my days of, actually, you mentioned university. I know you were a lecturer up at um, Armadale, and mm-hmm. I went to Armadale's teacher. Armadale Teachers College and my English lecturer up there was a guy called David Rummery who was oh in English literature he was very um dramatic I loved I loved his lectures I never used to write anything I'd just Mm -hmm. sit there and listen because he was so dramatic in the classroom yes yeah. yeah um I have a couple of questions here You've researched projects all over the world have you got a favorite place that you've been to research uh, well, some years ago, uh, I'm, I'm giving a talk tomorrow night, actually, at the Sydney Mechanics School of Arts. 
uh, in Pitt Street uh, about a mysterious figure. Uh, the talk will be over by the time this uh, probably goes to air, but uh, uh, I'm giving a talk um, on an historic figure that most Australians don't know about who was here as a political prisoner for some years, escaped, was already famous as a political prisoner throughout the world, known to the French and the Americans, escaped to New York, became a newspaper man, lawyer, union general and governor of Montana. Yeah. And... uh, um, I uh, uh, find, uh, sorry, now I've done everything. I've answered the question, but I Oh, yeah, is there somewhere, I just um, said, is there a place in the world you really love to? Well, I loved uh, a place, I I love the Mitchell Library, I love the uh, New York Public, with its big lines out for the front, uh, where I researched this man. Yeah. That's the point yeah, I was going to right. make yeah, and yeah. forgot in my yep. geriatric collapse of... <laughs> just one of those moments. <laughs> the dementia doctor's just outside the door. <laughs> oh, well, let him in after the interview. We'll, yeah. we'll let him do his Let's stuff. Let's hope like... he forgets why he came. Yes, I worked in the Boston, in the London... London Library is a wonder. It's the first lending library on earth that was founded by Carlyle, the great English uh, writer. Um, So generally, uh, heaven is a library. I remember that this escaped convict from Van Diemen's Land was part of the honour guard of generals for Lincoln's laying in state in the capital. Mm-hmm. And in a library in California called the Huntington, which was made by the famous railroad baron Huntington, who yep. who bought manuscripts from all over the world, I came across the entree card of this former Tasmanian convict, allowing him into the capital as part of the honour guard of generals to to keep watch over the body of the assassinated Lincoln. Now, libraries can give you a thrill like that. And all between you and it is you've got to wear gloves in that um, library. Yeah. But, oh. you know, I was probably one or two people who who touched it between this escaped Tasmanian convict who became a Union general and governor of Montana, touching it, and... The present. <laughs> wow. No, so that's it, the sort of thrill that... Isn't it? Yeah, that's the sort of thrill you love. Yes, that's right. Well, I sat six seats from Lech Valetza in a cabaret in Krakow in an Boy, underground cabaret. Now, that do, you is wanna, some... do you want to high-five me on ah, that one? Yes, that's we did. Pretty... We just did we a just high-five. Did a, high five, which a, a leaping, it was a leaping high-five, everyone. Yeah, we yeah. did. Tom was, was out of his chair. Yeah. Well, see, when I was working and... Do you remember Solidarity? Uh, well, Black yes. Alexa was on. T- I think we even had black and white TVs back then. But I was um, 
late high schools. And, and I was like, oh, he really cares, you know? And then I ended up years later in Poland working on children's television. And I was invited by some Polish people to this cabaret. And we were in um, the front row, and I think it was called Pob Baranama. And it was in, um, in the main square in Krakow. And you went down oh, into the underground, into this cabaret. Beautiful square. Yeah, yeah, so it was a small cabaret, and there were six seats alongside me in the front row with my two Polish friends behind. Yeah. And it was a Polish cabaret. I didn't really understand much, but they were translating. And in walks Litvalitsa and his bodyguards. And I'm going like, pinch me, pinch me. You know, <laughs> yes. this is like, this was a moment for me. Did you sing down to feed field travellers? <laughs> Um, I, couldn't, I couldn't get it out in Polish and, you know, the comedians on on stage were giving him a real roast about the economy. But, you know, things like that. But I just want to ask you, you did spend some time in Poland. Yes, and, and, and I was last there. I took my grandson when he finished the HSC. Judy and I took my grandson there last year. And, of course, it's extraordinary to see the there's a Schindler Museum there now. Mm. And it's a beautiful museum mm. too. And the politics is going to the right, as it is everywhere Mm -hmm. in the world, Um, not to a nice, cosy, neo, uh, at least pump-priming, old conservative, uh, you know, Menzian types, but far more hard-nosed, vicious right-wingers. And um, the... uh, uh, you know, after all that grief that Poland's been mm. through, it's sad. But I, I feel that um, Krakow's, a, a, you know, one of the cities that I've spent time... I feel almost a citizen of it. Yeah. Oh, no, and what a beaut- As you do, too. I do. And I, I'm going to tell you something and uh, that you probably... You, this is probably somewhere in in Krakow, Krakowia, as they call it. You won't have been. Do you know where the trumpeter plays in the top? Yeah. To the north? Yeah. I have been up there. We filmed up there with the trumpet players. Uh, well, 300 well, is, and something steps of this, spiral staircase. This is what you do when you get old kids. You uh, tra- travel if you can. An economy, after all, is... A, and it is a test for the older people to get over jet lag, of course. But in Krakow, they have this extraordinary testament to the end of the Ottoman incursion into Europe or Tatar incursion mm-hmm. into Europe because from the top of the cathedral in Krakow, which is in Schindler's list, yeah. actually, um, a trumpeter on the hour... On the hour, plays, and he's a fireman. To the north, the south, the east, and the west. This anthem, 13th century anthem, which ends in mid-note, because the original trumpeter who played it in that tower was, according to to what we know, struck by a Tartar arrow and died mid-blast. Yep. You know, that Tartar knew that trumpeters are very annoying. <laughs> in any case, that happens, that anthem is played and finishes mid-blast on the hour, is played by a fireman and it's fascinating. from each of the windows of the tower and uh, 
it was just one of the sort of cultural remnants which are so fascinated my grandson. And uh, that's one thing to do is to go to the places, even if it's Lithgow. You yeah, know? <laughs> and find out the history. And, and to, to give your uh, descendants a, a vivid sense. And if they won't listen to you, put it all down in writing. And uh, you know, those firemen also had very big bladders because it was 300 spiral steps down to the bottom. Again, yes. Just, so they, they go up there for 10 or 12 hours and work and then, you know, yeah. Yes, I, I think, uh, however, that Polish firemen's helmets are rather large. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, oh, I love it. Um, Tom, lifelong education, what are your thoughts on this? Well, if you're going to write, you can't avoid it. Uh, And, um, for example, I've discovered that Charles Dickens, 16-year-old son, arrives in Australia and he goes to a station called Momba, which is out beyond Wilcannia. Mm -hmm. It's on the Peru River. It was then 2,300... I didn't know we had a Peru River. Yeah. Well, we we do occasionally, seasonally. We oh, seasonally <laughs> we have it. Okay, so they, it transports itself in and out. Yep. Uh, and uh, he uh, uh, came there in 1868 when wool was still the thing to be in. You know, yep. it was booming. And where... Um, Two, three hundred thousand sheep were on that station, on which there were paddocks so vast that you could die of thirst crossing them. Mm. And um, the research into that station has led me to an eccentric Englishman named Frederick Bonney, who was young Dickens' boss, about whom I, I didn't know. Uh, until I started this research, and I find that he was one of the earliest wet plate photographers of Aboriginal people, of the people called the Parkinji, the people of the river. Mm-hmm. Parkinji means people of the river. And uh, they're out in western New South Wales. And the uh, he's a wet plate photographer and an ethnographer, a student of their ways, and he was also a great defender of them. Uh, And he returned to England in 1880. Very soon thereafter gave a fascinating um, lecture um, to the archaeological... No, the... Anthropological Society yep. of Great Britain and Ireland and was published in their 1884 number. Yep. You, uh, you can't get it at the news agency. Yeah, okay. <laughs> can't get it there. Okay. But it's online. Yes. So you read what Dickens's boss, Alfred, uh, Edward Dickens' boss, Plaun Dickens' boss, in 1868 thought of the Aboriginals. The article can be tracked down 
online. It's also in the Mitchell. And tomorrow my grandson is going to help me out by going through uh, some 300 pages of Frederick Bonney's letters in, uh, and notes in the Mitchell Library. And so, yet, if, you, if you've got projects, the education never ends. No, and the, I believe that it's what keeps you going too. But grandchildren are great because my year five grandson, Gus... Great name. ..who is a, a bit of a wild man, like his, grandfa- like his great-grandfather... Is he going to have wayward behaviour? Way- I think wayward ha- behaviour is on the books for Gus. Yes. Gus told me about angstroms. Now, many of the listeners will know what angstroms were, but they didn't figure in our education. Angstroms are measurements of in micromillimetres of the size of molecules and, and even, I think, particles. And he's fascinated by this, isn't he? And he, here is an 11-year-old educating his dumb 82-year-old grandfather on angstroms. I, well, look, see, <laughs> you said before, I wrote down when you mentioned your grandson was going to go to the Mitchell Library tomorrow... This I, is the 17. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but for 17, me, 18-year-old. I mean, my nieces, they helped my mother to learn about social media. And my mum's 91 this year. Uh, she still uses a computer and she plays bridge. Are you, if you play bridge, don't play with my mother. She's so competitive. She plays yeah. three days a week. <laughs> and if she doesn't come first, second or third, oh, my God. The crusher cleal. Oh, uh, it's so, she, but she, she's from um, – her background is – her family were um, come from Lightning Ridge and Whitecliffs Way, and oh, um, and well, so mm. her her mum and dad were in. Um, then they were part of a triple alliance, which was a marriage up in uh, Lightning Ridge. That that's all about them in the museum. But you know, the people then had incredible histories and walked for miles to get to towns, etc., or to get married. Ah, yes, yeah. So anyhow. Um, I was just going to say, grandsons, granddaughters, they're great for educating. Yes, indeed. And keeping you young. And the other thing is, uh, Gus drags me out to these parks where we go on high wires with a brace. Yeah, um, rip, 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 rip lines. Yes, and I'm... I'm always saying, am I the oldest person who's gone on this? And the, the kids that run it lightly say, oh, no, we had a 92-year-old woman last week. But um, I uh, like being the oldest person to go on things. I think it's wonderful. And, and I, I, it's become a vain search of mine. And I was going on a little excursion out in the Pacific on a cruise boat, a booze boat actually, oh, was it? for my granddaughter's my daughter's 50th birthday. Um, I have to tell you, no I can't, I'll tell you off air what my father used to call them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyhow. Um, I'm going to uh, write it down so I don't remember, so I don't forget, there's Dr. Uh, Dementia's out there. I was going on the, rip, the, the zip line that runs the length of the ship, you know, a flying fox. Yeah, that, yeah. And uh, I was thinking, I'll get the certificate for the oldest person to go on this, you know. And you didn't? No, my wife decided oh. 
to Judy. go out, and she gazumped me. Oh, so there were no seventy-five-year-old groupies saying, "Are oh, you so brave?" Oh, <laughs> oh my God! So betrayed uh, by my uh, wife. Betrayed by your wife. <laughs> Putting on the Ritz. Oh yeah, I sang this once. Not to chorus, Hugh Jack. Not to Hugh. Not Jackman. to Hugh Jackman at a concert at the International Terminal with backup from Bebop Girls and an orchestra. Oh. It was in a char- part of a charity. It's one of my favourite old songs from the old days, from pre World War Two, and. Uh, yeah, I, I like those old songs. I, I love them too. So I am going to turn on Putting on the Rip. Welcome back. You're listening to 88.7 and 90.3, your community radio station. To find out more, go to the website rnb.org. I am a jazz fan. <laughs> I look honestly, that is just so boppy and it's got such a great yeah. beat and it really makes you want to. And know. a really cool vocalist. Oh, whoever yeah. It was. yeah, I don't know. I'll have to look up. It just said Fred Astaire. So, uh, Tom, I, we're running out of time, but one thing I wanted to talk about you obviously started pinning books. How have you gone through the whole word process uh, to the technology of today and how do you keep up with that in social media? Uh, well, um, I don't, I'm not big on social media. I yep. tend to... Um, I, I've been on Twitter at the publisher's behest but <laughs> they expect you to talk about your own work and you can't. You can't. Yep. It's uh, creepy. And so... And people don't... Uh, like it anyhow, I don't think. Uh, I'm not on Facebook, um, and but I have learned all the skills of uh, of uh, res- online research. Yeah. Um, for example, the document um, that my grandson has to look up tomorrow. It's not online, understandably enough. It's by a forgotten. It involves a forgotten 19th century pastoralist. But the complete description and what's in it, case by case, is online. Mm. And that is the most wonderful thing. You can find out where the research is uh, and what is in it. For example, there are six boxes uh, in this big file and... Each box has different material in it. Mm-hmm. Some of it is irrelevant mm-hmm. uh, because I've already done it, but so, so the rest is all new material. Mm. And my grandson's going to make notes of it and, and get it printed. What out. a wonderful thing to do for him to do! To, you know, it's a sharing. Yeah. It's a sharing thing for you. Um, you know, together and yeah, to be very, doing some. And it's something that's very important to him yeah. for him to remember his. You know what he does yeah, with his when grandfather. The inevitable happens. No, yeah. yeah, but it's a nice way to be able to go. My granddad was really cool, and this is the stuff that he did, and we did together. It's, yeah. it's to me, it's so important. That's what families are about, and and you're giving him a gift, and he's giving you the gift of his love and caring, isn't he? It's like the same. It's a a great kid, Northern Beaches kid. Yeah. Gus, on the other hand, is Balmain. Oh. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 
grew up in Balmain? Well, I think Gus, I think Gus will go to a sort of white-collar crime farm when mm-hmm. his time comes. <laughs> well, <laughs> He's a very bright... <laughs> I have to just cough and... Um, look, I've... I could ask you so much more, but we've really run out of time and I haven't even got time really to play your last song, which was Morning Has Broken, but can you share why you love that song? Oh, well, I like good hymns. I'm very interested in sacred music still. I don't know why the church ditched plain chant, which was terrific in the mass. Um, And uh, we've now got uh, hymns by tone-deaf Jesuits uh, that are not worth, that are plunked out on guitar. Morning is Broken is a great old Protestant proto hymn and it's uh, it's like Amazing Grace is Mm, a favourite of mine. Yep. Uh, And I'd be a bit lost without sacred music. There's a hymn we learnt in the great drought of 1941 in Warhope, uh, taught by an Irish nun. Were you at school in Warhope? In Warhope in 1941, and she taught us to sing uh, How Glorious St Patrick, which isn't a bad song, and to sing On Erin's Green Pastures Look Down in Thy Love. Uh, the problem was that uh, Australia's deer pastures were brown. There were tr- uh, birds falling out of trees with, with heat exhaustion and <laughs> we were invoking <laughs> St Patrick to send rain to Ireland, which gets 362 days of rain a year. Oh, <laughs> gosh, you know. So, oh. <laughs> and so, I, yeah, I, I like uh, church music that works. <laughs> well, I've been following you around, obviously, because one of my first teaching pracs was at Warhope Primary. Uh, yeah, Warhope Primary, because, well, my mum and dad, um, dad passed away two years ago. They're at Loriton. Ah. My mum has a water frontage at Dumbogan, right on the water. Mm. Um, and, but yeah, I know Kendall and Warhope and all of those areas really well. And I was only up there a couple of weeks ago. They're, well, my, I started my life in Kempsey and Warhope yes. and so on. And I think Kempsey gets the prize for the most extraordinary names, like Bella Papini, <laughs> Yara Happeny, um, but best of all, Dong Dingalong. Oh, Don Dingalong. Which is by the Maclay, on the other side of the, the Maclay, Maclay River yeah. from... Uh, it's It's become a suburb now. I don't know how people say they come from there with a straight face, but... That's Australia for you. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yes. Now, Arvind, I just wanted... This is a question I don't ask people very often. When you think of ageing fearlessly, what does ageing fearlessly mean to you? Well, it doesn't mean losing your fear of death, but it means um, getting it into proportion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but people are rationally concerned about their death. Yep. Uh, recently... Uh, I chaired a panel of experts, of which I was not one, but moderated a panel on achieving a good death. Uh, uh, Dr Hillman, from who writes about this, uh, and is head of uh, acute care at mm-hmm. um, Liverpool, and a woman who runs the terminal 
the rather groundbreaking terminal ward yeah. at um, uh, Liverpool and various other people. And uh, people are very concerned at achieving uh, a good death. And uh, the I don't agree with the clergymen who say, oh, well, isn't suffering ennobling? Uh, all I can do is wish them a very ennobling death of their own. Uh, so I'm, I'm interested in questions like palliative care. Yeah. And but you know, you know for whom the bell tolls when you're my age, uh, and you know even if you're lucky enough to be able to ski with your wife, uh, you know on snowshoes. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> yes, but what a sook. <laughs> Uh, you know that uh, uh, you, you know it's not forever, no. and uh, it's it's great to be able to seize the day. But I think a lot of us are depressed about a number of things, mistakes made in the past, mm-hmm. the crimes and <clears throat> follies of the past, and I think uh, uh, people our age shouldn't hesitate to get help with all that because there is help there. Mm. Um, And my heart goes out to the people with um, dementia or Alzheimer's because it's accompanied by, in its early stages, by a cruel uh, anxiety about what's happening to them and... uh, uh, the success of medicine in getting us to this age um, has uh, uh, has not extended to uh, knocking Alzheimer's and on uh, the head. But yep. I'm sure it will it soon. Will. It yep. will soon, uh, and it had better hurry because there is there are technological reasons why our grandchildren could live. Uh, to phenomenal ages, undreamt of. Yeah, I, yes, exactly. Us. And their grandchildren, if civilization remains, uh, are likely to live to even greater. Yeah. Or else the species, we, you, we, we don't know, but we can't help being worried about uh, our grandchildren's future. And and that's normal to worry about it because, mm. yeah, the, it's a concern to us. Yeah. With with due regard to our local member, I would... Uh, I, I think that the centre of Australia could be growing even less habitable than it ever was due to... Uh, and climate change. Every yes, due to the climate changing yep. and yep. Uh, and it, the obvious changes that I mean, Judy and I went to the Antarctic in two thousand and four when we were still youngsters, and uh, great melt was on then. And we went to the Arctic in two thousand and eight, and there were ordinary yachts that made the passage through the uh, Northwest Passage mm-hmm. that defeated Cook, the best in the business, and defeated Sir John Franklin. Mm-hmm. There was an, In Nome, Alaska, there was even an Aussie yacht yeah. that made it through the Northwest Passage, only because there's so much melting on the way. And uh, 
I just uh, hope we uh, can evade. Uh, I mean, we've we've lasted. They put to rest recently again an Aboriginal elder, forty-two thousand years old, Mungo Man, mm-hmm. and in his Australia, two ice ages ago. Um, uh, the, the climate was very different, and there were not uh, the forests weren't as widespread as they were in 1788 when we mm, settled yep, when we settled Australia, and um, uh, so we're adaptable. But this is a testing time for it, our adaptation. It's it's been fast change. I think that's the real difference. Mm. And, Tom Keneally, thank you so much for coming and joining me. I honestly, I have laughed, I've learnt, I've had a ball, um, and I know my listeners will absolutely love hearing your stories. Well, uh, you know how we think we plan our funerals and we think we're going to be around for them? Yeah. Well, well I, I want a lot of disreputable people at my funeral. If you could, every disreputable listener of yours is welcome. To my, well, wearing not wearing a black tie, wearing the flashiest tie they've got. I, I have to tell you a story because at La Perouse, where I grew up, I went to elocution um, with a woman. The teacher was her name was Joy Ruby. Uh, she passed away last year, and three years before she passed away, she made a video, and she was in heaven. And she told everyone prior to for her funeral, she wanted flowers. She wanted everyone to bring a flower, everyone to wear colour. And at the end, when you know they they'd done the eulogy and whatever, and down came this big screen, and it was her in heaven, looking to oh look at you. And anyway, it ended up on the project. That ended up on the project. Oh, and look at you. Oh, my goodness, look at those flowers. Honestly, everyone was laughing with tears. Because she was, she's very eccentric and very, she was an actress. And Mm. she, she was, she grew up in Dubbo and wrote a book called Dubbo Dazzlers. And she was just, you know, she was, she just had it. And she ran it, she just had that, that gift and, and that way of, you know, making people feel mm. wonderful. And um, she had a community TV program for many years called Joy's World. And it was, a, and I took over that program for her uh, in the, her last year because she couldn't manage it. What and, a great and girl. Yeah. So um, I had my ageing fearlessly and hers and we used to get everyone in and we'd do a show once a month for, that went out every week for the month. And so, yeah, uh, yeah so that's what she did for her funeral. I've made a song for the neighbours uh, to celebrate my... The anthem for my operation goes, The bells of hell go ring-a-ling-a-ling for me, but not for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, grave, where is thy sting-a-ling-a-ling? Oh, grave, thy second shoe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my, oh, your neighbours. Tom, you're a very funny man, and thank you for coming along and sharing your brilliance and your sense of humour um, absolutely love it. Thank you. It's been great fun speaking to another rebel. Mm. How do you know? <laughs> I don't think you know that about me. <laughs> this is my farewell song. So this is it for today's program. It's time to say cheerio to the wonderful Northern Beaches community. Join me next week for another episode of Aging Fearlessly. 
And now for a song written by Nick Howard, especially for the listeners. This is Karen Sander. Have a fantastic week. And remember, ageing is inevitable and growing old is a choice. The sun is shining bright outside. There's a sparkle in It's not all nine to five, it's a wonderful life. Let's go and climb mountains high, swim across oceans wide. Live out our dreams, just you and me. Let your heart be alive. There's no time to wait. Gotta go get the most out of time Don't be afraid Like this treasure that you've got to find Baby, don't be shy Let's go and take that ride Taste the sweet and the spice Everything nice Let your heart Let your heart come alive, honey Let your heart be alive